Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, our Associate Pastor for Leadership Development, Dr. Michael Wright. My aim this morning is, one, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Two, to encourage the believers to continue to walk in faith, to persist, to, to uh, persevere and, uh, until the Lord either comes again or until He calls each one of us home in His own individual sovereign way. And three, the, to uh, bring the gospel to those who may not yet be redeemed, may not have yet received Christ and have trusted fully in the Lord and trusted Him alone for salvation. And if any of those things can happen, uh, that would be wonderful. We want to be pleasing to the Lord. So I'm going to share with you from Isaiah chapter 9. Why don't you turn your Bible to there? Pastor Keith asked me to address the subject of mighty God. The mighty God. While you're turning there, let me just say that as I was preparing for this message, there was so much in God's Word on this topic. It was difficult to choose just five simple things that I'm going to share with you today. I could have shared 20, 30 things. I mean, how can we encapsulate the mighty God into one sermon? And uh, of course, we cannot. But let us enjoy what we have before us this morning. I also was thinking as I was studying and preparing for this message how relevant God's Word is, no matter whether it's Old or New Testament, to today's life, to the living, the things that are going on in our world today. I know that if, if you pay attention to the news, I could probably just say a phrase or two, and you, you probably know exactly what is being discussed. For example, I think of, of things like North Korea, wildfires, economy, stock market, Jerusalem, that was in the news this week, the embassy, the FBI, and of course we've also heard that we can say Merry Christmas again. All of these things are on the news and they push the news to us and here is what I believe that is being done. They are hyping the news, hyping the events of the world, to either cause fear or to excite or insight, uh, to, to cause us to respond. And they'll end the story with, now stay for a moment while we break for a commercial so we can pay for the bad news we're going to give you after the break. If only we believers would spend more time in the good news... Now, the good news is fully funded and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We don't need to break for the commercial. It's an ongoing deal that we can share 24 hours, seven days a week. So I thought about these things as I was preparing, as I was thinking about how very relevant and up-to-date all of this is. And so we... We see in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1 what this book is all about. It is a vision 
Isaiah's book is a vision about Judah, that is the southern kingdom of Israel, and then particularly about Jerusalem, the holy city, the place of worship, that place that was to be unleavened, the place that was to be uh, not stained by by sin, there was to be true and heartfelt worship of the Lord God in this city. And, and we see in Isaiah 1, that is to, to whom Isaiah is writing. He receives a vision. In fact, it says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now hang on to that thought. Because from that moment on, up into the verse that we're about to look at and, and study and, and bring out for more understanding, there was a great wickedness that Isaiah discusses about Judah and Jerusalem. And then when we come to chapter number 9 and verse 6, it is like a shining, bright shining light in this dark wickedness that Isaiah was just speaking about in Jerusalem and Judea. It's a bright light of hope. It is a, it is, it is a glimmering, bright uh, focus that those who follow the Lord can grab hold of this and continue to hope until the Messiah comes. He writes in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Praise the Lord. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then there's the seal at the bottom. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It is sealed up by the will of God. He is going to perform this and bring this to pass. It is a great and mighty verse that we talk about at Christmas, but we could talk about this verse and enjoy it the year round. Now, the book of Isaiah, as I've mentioned, is a God-given vision. Spoken to or given to, if you will, Isaiah. Now, the name Isaiah itself means, means the salvation of, of Jehovah. The man who pens this book is a man whose life was all about delivering the great salvation of the Lord. And so he does so. And he brings about the hope that they needed to hear in that time. The words of God through the prophet remind us today that God truly is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, the prince of peace. And so this morning we're going to take a closer look at what mighty God means 
and we'll see it as it relates to the wickedness, or that is we will juxtapose this idea to the, with the wickedness of Israel. But five things I want to share with you this morning. Five simple thoughts. One, that God is mighty to judge. Two, that He reveals His glory. Three, that He's mighty to foretell the gospel. Four, that He's mighty to save. And then finally, that He's mighty. God is mighty to bestow blessing on whom He will bless. So first of all, let's consider this thought that He's mighty to judge. See, when we think of the word mighty, we must also think of words like authority, power. God has, because He is God, and He knows all, and He's omnipotent, all-powerful, but He's also omniscient, He's all-knowing. He knows of the lives of men and women, and boys and girls, and whether they are doing right or whether they're doing wrong before Him. And so when we think of this word might, we think of authority. God has the authority and the right to judge. And by the way, God will judge correctly every single time. And there will be nothing that will escape His notice. And so God is mighty to judge. First of all, I want you to note that God is mighty to judge the wickedness of the southern kingdom Judah. Look at chapter 1 with me quickly. We're just going to pass through some of these pages. And I'm going to point out a couple of things to you. And I want to encourage you to go back home and then read all of this leading up to these verses. But look at verse 4 of chapter 1 of Isaiah. He says, Ah, sinful nation. See, this is an ascription to the whole tribe, the whole group, uh, or the, the whole group living in Judah. A people laden with iniquity. See, there's a there's an corrupt culture here. Offspring of evildoers. How would you like to have that title on your life card? I, I'm an offspring of an evildoer. Children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And it goes on and on. The whole head is sick, he says in verse 5. And it goes on to just com completely lay out before the people their wickedness and what they have done. God is mighty to judge the wickedness of Jerusalem. You see, the reason there is this national judgment is because although there are individual people who live within a nation, when God judges a nation, the rain, you will, the fall, is going to come down on the righteous and the unrighteous. When an unrighteous uh, nation conducts its, uh, its wickedness, those who know the Lord, those who are righteous, sometimes suffer the consequences of living among an unrighteous people. We understand that, do we not? We ourselves read or see on, uh, uh, the news that tells us of people who are brought up on charges and then charges are dropped because they, are, they have the money or the ability or the power of prestige and then the poor person is brought before a judge and, and they are easily found guilty and thrown into the prison. You have all of these things that go on and that will happen that that poor person who is righteous can just as easily be taken away as the one who, has, who is unrighteous. So we see that God is mighty to judge the wickedness of Judah, that the, to judge their iniquity, to judge their evil doing. And then more specifically, we see that God is, 
is mighty to judge the unfaithfulness of Jerusalem. Look at chapter 1, verse 21 and following, and you'll see that. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness, lodged in her, but now murderers lodge there. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine is mixed with water, which is an indication of their weakness, the weakness of their worship. In verse, in the very bottom part of verse 23, they do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. You see, God is judging Jerusalem, specifically the city, for their corrupt community and their corrupt forms of worship. How did all of this come about? Well, you see, if you go all the way back to the United Kingdom, you see three kings during that kingdom. There was Saul, there was David, there was Solomon. Saul was considered to be someone who had a no heart for the Lord. He was a fake. He was a pretender. Then you had David who had a whole heart for the Lord. Even though he sinned, God still saw him as one who loved him and God loved David. And then there's Solomon whose heart was split. It was divided between his wives and the worship of the Lord God. In fact, God told Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, do not intermarry. With them. That is, look at all those who reside around. Don't intermarry with them. But he did. He brought in over a thousand different women, and some of those women convinced him to set up high places of false worship within the city of Jerusalem. And then, and then they would put up little emblems of false gods inside of a city and in a region where God was to be worshipped, and Him only. You can see this play out. For after that, we see they moved into the period of the kings, where the northern kingdom had 19 kings, and none of them had a heart for the Lord. And the southern kingdom had about 20 kings, and only eight of those kings were considered to be followers of the Lord. It's interesting, if you go back and read the kings and read the chronicles, you'll see all this in, in living color. But notice the template of the writer of the book of Kings. It's an interesting template. When he introduces, when the writer introduces the kings, he would introduce a king with the name, and then he would say, here is the year in which this king began. And he would associate that to a reign of a king. Then he would say, this is the son of, and he would talk about the father and then he would say, and he was this uh, old. In other words, he would give his age at the beginning of the reign of this particular king. Now you go back and read Judah, and this is what you'll see. When you see the reign of a king of Judah, you'll see his age and then the length of the reign. The, reign, the length of the reign is then followed by a comment that is very important to pay attention to because sometimes... It would say, now this king did right in the eyes of the Lord. And we can all applaud that that is being ascribed to that particular king. But sometimes the second sentence in that template would sometimes say, 
but he did not remove the high places, the false worship in Israel. Now, I don't know how that can happen. I guess that could be like a, 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 a pastor who has a good heart, he loves the Lord, but doesn't have the courage to encourage his congregation to put away sin. But that's what he did. And we see that template time and time again throughout the Kings. And so by the time we get to Isaiah, where he is ministering during the time at this point, when he's writing this, during Uzziah, we know this is exactly what has happened. Isaiah is pointing out the wickedness of Judah and the, and the idolatry of Jerusalem, exchanging the worship for false gods for the true worship of the Lord God. And Isaiah through the Spirit of the Lord, through the vision that he'd been given, is now sharing this with them. You see, God, God, is, God is mighty to judge this. He judges Judah, he judges Jerusalem. He is mighty to judge the religious rituals of Jerusalem. In fact, he goes on to say, if you read all of the text, you'll see that, that God was not happy that they would come together and follow through with the rituals, but their heart was not in the worship. By the way, I would say that some of us from time to time have that challenge, do we not? We come to church, we know we're supposed to come to church, we fill up our offering envelope, we give it, we're glad that you do that. All of that happens, we're, that, that is something that you need to learn and, and do it even if you don't feel like doing it, but God eventually wants your whole heart not just the box checked off. He wants the heart of your life totally surrendered to Him so that when you gather here, you've got the fuel coming in of the Word of God and then when you go out, you've got the fire of the Spirit of God and you're living the other six days of the week wholly devoted to Him. That's true worship. As Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, totally consumed for the Lord. And so He's mighty to judge the religious rituals. And he's also mighty to judge the leaders and the ruling classes. And I already made reference to how some who were rich, some who were wealthy, some who had power and prestige could buy their way out of being found, found responsible for any kind of crime or any wrongdoing within the city. That happened then, it's happening today. And he's mighty to judge the ruling classes. He's mighty to judge the haughty women of Zion. There were women in the city who are attaching themselves, several of them at, the, at a time, uh, to one man living under one man's roof. Instead of trusting the Lord, instead of giving their heart to the Lord and trusting Him for one man and one woman to be married for a life, they would attach themselves in this way. They would attract the men and the men, because of their wickedness, would, would live like this. God judged that. He's mighty to judge the haughty women and the haughty men. He's mighty to judge the prosperity and the fruitfulness of Jerusalem and the woes that are associated with that judgment. Look at chapter 5 of Isaiah. Look at chapter 5. And, and let me just show you, for example, verse 20 of Isaiah 5. He says, Woe to those who call evil good. And good, evil. Who put darkness for light. Who put bitter for sweet. And sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And shrewd 
in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. See, people who boast that they get drunk and live in drunkenness. That's what they boast. They're heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. God has the authority, the right. He is on the money every time he has the might to judge and judge he should. Because if he did not judge, he would not be the holy God that we worship. God has the authority to do this. But along with this, he also has the the might to reveal his glory. Look at chapter 6. And this is a whole set of sermons unto itself. I'm not going to do that to you this morning, but just remember Isaiah and how God, in the midst of this darkness and iniquity, God pulls Isaiah aside and calls him to go and to continue to preach to this nation who was so unrepentant. Those of us who are in the ministry uh, dream of pastoring a church like this one, really, to be honest with you. Because uh, it's, so, it's wonderful to, to minister among the people here. And we all want that. But there are men, and we need to remember them and pray for them. Sometimes they're called to churches that, have, or that are under great distress. And there's wickedness in those churches. Some of the high and lofty false worship of, of just the lifestyles are, are promoted in these, in these bodies. But God calls them to that church sometimes to say, I want you to go and preach and help root it out. We do need to pray for those pastors, don't we? Because that is happening all around us. But God is mighty to reveal His glory as He did to Isaiah. If you look at Isaiah, let me just read the first part of it. Verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, I love this, sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and with one, and one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Woo, wouldn't you like to be called to the ministry like that? You would have no doubt. Oh, yes. I know I'm supposed to go into the ministry. Those angels, it would be like being in some great theater or stadium or one side of the stadium. You hear the angels uh, with one voice saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And then the leader would turn to the other side and they, these angels over here get to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And they go back and forth and back and forth. And from the look of this and from what we know about these verses and other places about angels, it seems that these particular angels were created just for this work. Amazing. God reveals His glory. Some of us can't even sit for an hour and listen to a message and sing a little bit. They're doing this for eternity. Over and over again. So this is what 
Isaiah has. God reveals the glory to the man of God. God in His might reveals His glory to transform the man of God. And we see that in verse 7. And He touched my mouth and He said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And by the way, when Isaiah had this revelation, I should point out verse number uh, four to you. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe to me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And then, so he sees that personal guilt. But notice Because God was going to call him to preach to a people. Notice that second part of that verse. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If you and I want to more clearly understand our world, the more intimate we need to be in the praying and the reading and the worshiping personally and corporately of the Lord our God. If you're sitting back and going, I don't see everything that's so dark. I don't see everything that's so bad. When you get near the Lord, you will be able to see it more clearly. That's why we encourage you to read God's Word. It's not just to check it off, as I was saying a while ago. It's not, don't don't pray every day just because check it off. I've done that. God wants you to see who He is. And He wants to understand the world in which you live. So that you may run from the darkness into the light, that you may run from the bitter and start partaking of the sweet. And so God reveals this glory to transform the man of God and then to call the man of God. The the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one unified voice. And here is his response. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God says, go and say these things to the people. He's mighty to judge. He's mighty to reveal His glory when He's calling people to proclaim the word. And He's mighty to foretell the gospel. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel. We see this show up in the New Testament. The fulfillment of, the, of this prophecy is fulfilled in the New Testament. We see Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. In chapter 7, in verse 14 of Isaiah, it says, The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. This is in the future. It's going to happen. And now in the New Testament, it has happened. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, church, God with... There it is. All this wickedness, and yet God is willing to come near to His people. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, O Lord, for not turning from us when you could have. Isaiah, also we see in this great and marvelous book that he's mighty to save, he's mighty to judge and bring glory and foretell the gospel, but then he's mighty to save, to bring that gospel to application. 
Because God promised the Messiah through his people and he made a covenant with Abraham. He has used his, God's people, the people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people to bring the Messiah into the world. And he saves those out from the world. Joel said in chapter 2, verse 32, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul tells us what it means in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, when he says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Messiah has come. Jesus has died. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinless death. He shed his blood, which is for the forgiveness of sin. He went into the grave dead. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he gave the Spirit of the Lord into the hearts of his people, Jews and Gentiles alike. God is mighty to save. And why did He save us? Let me, let me give you a little hint. We need to move on, but one, one thing. God didn't save us just to take us to heaven. Oh, if that is why He saved us, then we would just immediately be transported into heaven. Oh, Lord, save me. Save, gone. No, God has left us here that we might glorify Him in our home life, in our work life, that we might take the gospel to all the nations here where we live, as well as around the world. And let me close by saying God is mighty to save everyone who calls, but then He's also mighty to bestow the blessing. And the blessing we see here in these verses of Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. The greatest gift, the greatest blessing of all is Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting, say it church, life. That's the proclamation of Isaiah 9. It is the proclamation of all the New Testament. God bestows blessing, the blessing of Jesus Christ. He bestows the blessing for those who need wisdom, the wonderful counselor. For those who need, who need a relationship with him, he's the everlasting father. You can have that relationship with the everlasting father through his son, Jesus Christ. And he has bestowed blessing of comfort and peace through the Prince of Peace. But right now, perhaps in this moment, you need a wonderful counselor. Someone you can confess your sin to. Someone that you can go to and say, Lord, I've blown it. The Spirit of God will help you do this, but when you recognize, just like Isaiah, that I am a man, I am a woman, I am a boy or girl, I'm a man of unclean lips, and wow, I live among a bunch of other people with unclean hearts and lips as well. Then you can come and you can surrender your life because I see that's the Spirit of God drawing you. If your, your mind and your heart is open to this, He's drawing you to say, I love Jesus. I want Jesus. And I want to live for the Lord. Perhaps if that's you, you need to come this morning and publicly profess your faith alone in Jesus Christ. Not Jesus plus some other tradition or church or whatever, but just make it about this Messiah who has come and paid the price for our sin. You see, this is better news, isn't it? It's better news than what I mentioned at the beginning, isn't it? This is grand news. 
And this is offered to you. I don't offer it to you. But as a mouthpiece for the Lord this morning, God offers it to you. And will you respond? Let's do pray right now. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to have you. Because unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And Lord, now we want to rest our lives upon him. Help us to do that today as a church, but also help each individual that's here today do it for salvation. And Lord, if those who already know you, for the perseverance of their saintly walk in Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.